Let's get started. Um, let's read God's Word. If you could stand with me. Today we are reading the last chapter of Hosea. This is week six that we're in Hosea. And we're actually going to extend Hosea for one more week next week. Um, but we are reading the last bit of it, the last chapter. And this is the word of the Lord. This is what he says to us. Chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands, in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew of Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow, they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their frame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what, I ha what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Let's pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for this day and for everyone here. I thank you that you have cared for us another week, that you have given us all life, for another week, that nothing has overcome us, and we have the opportunity of knowing you better today. Holy Spirit, I just welcome you to be here with us, to do the work of opening up your scripture and our, heart, our hearts, our souls. And I just pray that you would search us and speak profoundly to us. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the work you gave Hosea to do, and I pray that it uh, still speaks to us today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. Forgot to start my clock. Okay, now it's official. Um, so, one thing about me is that my favorite book to read in the whole wide world, besides the Bible, Christian answer, is a C.S. Lewis book called The Great Divorce. If you have not read it, I encourage you to read it. It is magnificent. Uh, and here's some of the story, right, really briefly, hopefully. Uh, this man wakes up in a place, it's really gloomy, and he doesn't know where he is, and he walks for hours, and he sees all these homes, but he rarely sees people. And he's just walking along, and there's no one there, and he meets a couple people, and they tell him that, the city that they're in spreads out for thousands of years, 
and you can walk for thousands of years in every direction and not meet anyone because anything that a person wants, they can imagine, and it appears, but nothing satisfies them. And he walks and he walks and he walks. He meets a couple of people, and eventually he finds his way to this bus stop. And at this bus stop, he, there's this long line, and he gets in it. Uh, before the bus even gets here, most of the people on the line leave the line because they just can't stand being with one another. And eventually the bus comes, and then there's more fighting, and some people go on the, bu the bus, and some people don't. And even on the bus, there's a lot of fighting because people in this place can't live together. And eventually the bus starts flying, crazy, and it just takes off into the sky until they get to this place that is so radiantly beautiful that they are there in this place, and that place is so much more real than where they, are, where they come from, that place is so much more solid than what they are that even the sun like, hits them and goes through them. They look like ghosts in this place. And eventually the bus lands in this beautiful field. And even when they try and get out and walk on the bus, well, some people don't even leave the bus. They stay on the bus and they get on the grass. And the grass is so much more solid than they are that it feels like they're walking on knives. And so they can't even walk on the grass in this place because that place is just so much more real than, any, than even what they are capable of taking in. Right? They are not made for that land. They were made for that other place where everything was dark and gloomy. And eventually, the, our main character, he's walking around and we meet a lot of people and he, he sees this leaf. And even this leaf is just so beautiful, he wants to pick it up. But that one leaf is just so much more solid than he is that he can't even pick it up. He tries so hard that the, some of the skin comes off of his hands. That one leaf is so much more real and so much more solid than he is. Like he is just not made for that place. And the reason why I want to start here is because in my experience of growing up, whenever I have been in a moment that God has set up, it is always so much more real than I could have ever expected. It is so much more solid than I like, imagined it to be. I remember moments, big moments, important moments, moments like my wedding day, like when I just, you have this, all this build up to this one day, and we had a pretty simple wedding, so it's not like we were setting up like this giant show. But it was all this buildup, and we get to this day, and you're like, I wonder what I'm going to feel like on that day. Oh, like, you imagine the feelings that you're going to experience that day. You imagine the highs. You might imagine some of the stresses. And you get there, and it's just like, hopefully, this really lovely moment. But it, usually, it like felt so much different than I expected it to. It felt so much realer than I thought it would. Uh, it wasn't this, like, I'm bouncing off of the clouds, but it was like, wow, this is like a sober moment. I'm stepping into something really big right now. I, th I think a lot of these moments in our lives, we enter them, and we're like, oh, that wasn't what I was expected. But I think, and I hope, at least many of them are always better than what we expected. I remember when Ryan, our uh, Ryan I talk about Ryan because he was our first. I remember when he was born. And I remember like the same buildup. Oh my goodness, it's going to be so amazing. It's going to be all oh, this beautiful event. And it was like dirty and messy. I had to watch way more than I wanted to. And, um, but then at the end of it, I was like holding this boy that I didn't have before that moment. And it just was, it's just like crazy what goes on inside of you in those moments. 
They're just so real, and they're so finite. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I never had you, little boy, before, but I can't picture myself without you anymore. I, I just want to pick out those moments because when God is in moments like those, there's no amount of preparing for those moments. There's no amount of preparing yourself mentally to be in that moment and to feel what you feel in those moments. It's just so solid and so real. And the moments that like really change the trajectory of your life, right, those are sobering moments. And God orchestrates them so well and so beautifully and so powerfully in our lives that I just like, can't help but be in those moments and be like, he's clearly doing something. Let me catch up to what he's doing because this is too much in good ways, and then also in tragic moments, the same. In moments of tragedy, sitting in them, and having no answers, but trying to be in those moments. And I wanted to talk to us today in our closing of Hosea, at least in reading through Hosea, because Hosea is this crazy, amazing, powerful, intimate book that talks to us about the life of a very difficult prophetic calling, of when God was honest enough to stand up to his people and be honest with them, like really honest with them. God stood up to Israel. He called them all Gomer. He called us all whores. He says that we cheat on him all the time. He said that we find other lovers instead of him all the time, that we are prone to forgetting about him, that we are prone to finding everything that we should find from him in all the wrong places. Any place that isn't him is the wrong place to find security and identity and worth and value and beauty. And sec- I don't know if I said security, but security as well. Uh, And he wraps this whole story up, his juggling between giving us honest words, right? In in chapter 9, verse 15, he says that he started to hate us in Gilgal, where they worshipped other idols, right? In chapter 1, he said that he would uh, kill us of thirst because he was so angry at us. And Hosea has this book, is this book of really hard words for us to hear that are meaningful that we're not supposed to just skip over or say, oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm okay, Uh, though that is true. We'll talk about that next week. Um, He is honest with us. The God of the universe is honest with us because his response to our sin is intimate relationship. He also, in this story, showers us with unforgettable, undeserved love, tenderness, compassion, and mercy, so much that we, well, we don't deserve any of it, but his heart as the long-suffering husband just shines forth in these pages. He's not just angry, he's also perfectly loving. He's also perfectly long-suffering with our wandering. He also promises to heal us. And then we get to chapter 14, and he wraps it up in the most unexpected way. He gives us some words to give to him. 
And then he starts to talk about nature, some trees. Right? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the most famous preachers of the 19th century, he said this. We have a slide for this. He said, uh, specifically about Hosea chapter 14, he said, this is a wonderful chapter to be at the end of such a book. I had never expected from such a prickly shrub to gather so fair a flower, so sweet a fruit. But so it is, where sin abounded, grace doth, more, doth much more abound. No chapter in the Bible can be more rich in mercy than this last of Hosea. And yet no chapter in the Bible might in the natural order of things have been more terrible in judgment. We were looking for the blackness of darkness. Behold, the noontide of light. And I agree with him. I think that Hosea chapter 14 is the most surprising chapter in all of Scripture. And so let's get into it for a little bit. Let's see what he's actually saying to us. Let's see how he closes this crazy, intimate, powerful book that he started. Not even, it's not just a book. This mission that he started in Hosea's life for Israel and then for his people for all time. And so uh, we're going to start off in our, our first. We only have two points because I just I, I don't want to do too much today. Like I know I have been this whole series, but it's just too exciting. Uh, our first point for us today is that when we realize that we are Gomer, when we go through a season of exile, and when our hearts catch up to our brains and knowing how much we actually need the Lord, what we're called to do is to take words with you, to take words to the Lord. Well, let me read uh, the first, first little bit here. Verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Right? At the end of this whole story, this amazing story about this difficult story about Hosea and his wife, right? Hosea going after her again, after she leaves him and cheats on him again, brings her back with love, pays her debts, and then after all of the other chapters where God is concretely talking to Israel, telling them of what they have been doing, these three major sins going to Assyria as if Assyria would protect them, going to Egypt to ask them for a Calvary as if their Calvary could protect them, and then also making all of these idols, all of these gods from the works of our hands because we think that the things that we make are equal to the Lord, right? After all of that, he tells us, when you leave, the period, when you leave exile, remember last week was about the exile, when you leave exile, and when it's time for me to gather up my children again, when the lesson has gone deep enough in your soul, and you really realize your dependency on him, what you're supposed to do, not as if a script, but because your heart is repentant, is you go to him and you give him words. You match the honesty, excuse me, that he has shown us in Hosea, you match the honesty of his difficult words with your own, realizing, Lord, I have sinned. I'm broken. I can't do this. People are broken, and they're hurting me. My own sin gets in the way. I can't do any of this. The first thing 
is that you take your heart and you give it to him. You take everything that's going on in your mind, in your soul, your sleepless nights, the things that you know you do wrong, the things that you keep hidden, the things that you keep in private, the things that have you addicted, all of that. Excuse me. And you go to him, and you say, Lord, I'm Gomer. I'm, I'm Gomer. I leave you all the time. But this only really works when it's honest. This isn't a script for you to say, if you don't think that you're a Gomer. This is for the people who come to the end of themselves, who are in difficult times, who have, are coming out of a hard season, who the Lord has stood up to and said, I won't let you do those things anymore. I won't let you find significance through your job. I won't let you be comforted by your bank account. I won't let you be, feel safe because you have a million friends on Facebook. I won't let you do these things over and over and over again that aren't good for you. I won't let you go to your other lovers who will enslave you and then sell you like they did to Gomer. I won't let you do that anymore. And when you learn that that is really you, you go to him with your words. You take real words to him. And the first thing you say is, I'm a sinner. You say, I sin. I leave you all the time. Because that's true. Every single one of us do. Even just forgetting him is a sign that we're a gomer. Even just going through the week and feeling like you don't have any time to pray to him. You're a gomer, just like me. We're gomers. And then he gives us words to say to him, right? Because he's always helpful. He always helps us to talk to him. He helps us to be honest with him. He goes on and says, he says, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows, the vows of our lips. We say, Lord, I've sinned. I repent. I confess. I tell you what I do. I won't play games with you anymore. You know what I'm doing. I'm not going to play games anymore. I'm not going to pretend like it's not me anymore. I'm not going to pretend like I'm good enough. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not Gomer. And this is what he says. He says, give me your words. Right here he says, um, we will pay with the bulls the vows of our lips, right? The bulls, we pay with bulls is like their sacrificial system, right? You went and you became okay with him by sacrificing a pure animal, shedding the blood of that animal, and that paid for your sins, right? Setting up what Jesus would do later, but we'll talk about that next week. And instead of the bulls, we give him our lips. We give him our words. You have a real relationship with him. You treat him like he's real, right? Not just another one of these gods that we make up. Not another Baal or another Asclepius or another, all of Zeus, all of these things that aren't real, that aren't God himself. And we tell him about it. Because he cares about our hearts. Because he cares when we give him honest words. Because he knows when we're lying. And then he addresses specifically what he's been saying to them all along through Hosea, right? 25 years, remember, 25 years of Hosea's ministry has been calling out these three things. He says, Assyria shall not save us, right? Israel went to Assyria for safety. Assyria turns on them in 722 B.C. 
And then he says, we will not ride on horses. They went to Egypt to get their cavalry, as if their cavalry would keep them safe, as if they were not already safe when they relied on the Lord. And then he also says, and we will say no more our God to the works of our hands. And you, the orphan, find mercy. Right? No, no more will the things that I work towards to make me feel safe and secure and valuable and anything else, loved, protected, the works, the things that you do with your hands will not add any of that to you. Your job won't make you feel satisfied. Your bank account will never keep you safe. Your marriage is great, but it will never fill that hole that's inside of you. You have a perfect family, a perfect house, living in the right part of town. None of that will ever even satisfy you because only the Lord can, because only God can. And so the first thing that we're called to do is to, when we learn that, and I want this to be clear, not when you know the script and say it, because that doesn't do anything. But when your heart catches up with your brain and you say, yeah, like, none of this adds anything to my life, then you go to him with your words. Right? It's such a, a beautiful way that God instructs us to turn away from what we are doing. He doesn't say, stop doing everything right that second. He says, first start with words. First start with what's honest. First stop playing games. First treat me like I'm real. Right, do, we, do, we ex do we know that the Holy Spirit is here right now? Like right now. That's really sobering. He's Whenever two or three are gathered, he is here with us. Right? Do we know that something holy could happen in this exact moment? That something holy can happen? whenever you bring him honest words. Our whole lives can change in any second when we come to him in honesty, when we give him the words of our lips. And so, when your, brain, when your heart catches up to your brain, start with giving him real words. Start with confessing your sin. Start with acknowledging that you are a sinner. And that only one thing, you've tried to fix yourself, you've tried to fill that hole, you've tried to deal with that anxiety or that depression in every other way, and it's not working because only the God can really give us the deep things that we really need, the deep things that all people need are only filled by him. God can always do something with that prayer. And then our second point for today, our second and our last is that then he starts talking about how he heals us. Let's start uh, in, in verse 4. In verse 4, he says this, I will heal, heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. Right? How reassuring to read after Hosea that he says that all those angry words weren't just him saying that in anger. They were real. He meant them, but his anger has turned from us because he is compassionate and he is merciful to us. And he says, okay, I'll heal your apostasy. 
when you give me honest words, I'll heal you. When you treat me like I'm real, I'll heal you. Apostasy uh, is this really loaded word. Uh, the like, tame dictionary definition means backsliding, right? Doing like, ah, like, ah, I won't just relax on some things here. Oh, like, just an example. Oh, I'll stop. Oh, I just, I'm tired. I'm not going to go to church today. Oh, oh, next week. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, work's been so busy. And then you realize you haven't been to church in months, right? That's just an example. Come to church, though. Um, but it's just backsliding. Intentionally knowing what's right and over time, relaxing standards, relaxing commitment, devotion, on perp- like intentional, knowing that it's wrong. But apostasy is like so much, that's to the tame, uh, the tame version of that. Apostasy is like, I know that you have accepted that God is real, but you're turning your back. You're just done. I know this is true, or at one point I said this was true, and now I'm just done with it. Even if it's true, I'm done with it. God says, I'll heal that from you. And from there, he's, he like takes this turn. This is the unexpected part of this, to end Hosea. He starts to talk about all these things from nature. This is like, what, like okay, this is like, it kind of seems like left field from us, but I just want to remind us the first son's name. Remember in chapter one, all the way back in chapter one, when Gomer and Hosea start having kids, God tells them to name their firstborn son, another picture of what he was doing in Jesus later on, but his firstborn son's name is Jezreel. And remember that we said Jezreel was synonymous with a battlefield, but what Jezreel really means, what it means in the Hebrew, it means God sows. And so all along in this whole story, he's been setting up the end. He's been setting up how he tells us he will heal us in all of these natural and organic and real ways that we can understand. And he starts to talk about all of these nature things, these tree things. Right, he brings up the lily. The first where he goes is he, he brings up the lily. Oh, sorry, before we go there. To verse 5. He says, I will be like the dew of Israel. He shall blossom like, well, and then he says the lily. But the first part there, I will be like the dew of Israel. Back in chapter 6, verse 4, he says that our love to him was like the morning dew but it was like the morning dew in that as soon as the sun came out, it faded. He brings this back up and he says, okay, I will be your dew, Israel. And then he starts to say what this dew is going to do, right? What this watering of the earth, gently watering the earth over the course of a whole night, what is that gentle feeding, that gentle presence, that consistent presence that's there every morning, uh, when we used to meet in the park, I would go there early in the morning to check out how bad the dew was, and my shoes always got wet, but I always prayed, like, Lord, please, make the sun come up and make the grass dry so that we can come and have church here. And every time it did. But his dew is something different. It does something different, and he starts by bringing up the lily. Right? The same lily that in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus brings up in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, he says, and why, when he's talking about anxiety, he says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Right? The lily is this little field flower. It actually wasn't little. It grows up to be four feet tall if you let it. 
but it's this flower that produces way more than this one little flower is, should be able to. One lily can produce about 50 bulbs. It's like over, way overproducing what this little common flower of the field does. And Jesus himself, our Savior, he brings up the lily and he's like, oh, it's so beautiful, right? And God's like, I will make you that productive and that beautiful. The lily that rises up today and is dead tomorrow, I, I make you beautiful. When you know that I am your Lord, when you know that you are Gomer, and when you give me honest words, I'll make you like the lily. Splendid. Simple. Elegant. Uncomplicated. Just this beautiful flower that grows anywhere weeds grow is just gorgeous. And when God is the Lord taking care of everything, we're just like these little lilies. Absolutely beautiful to him. Absolutely beautiful to anyone who looks at it. This lily that is just so elegant and beautiful, that's what God can do when we come to him with real words. And when we let him really heal us, his work goes so deep that it makes us beautiful. That we're beautiful not because any single one of us are really that beautiful or pretty, but because of him in us. Wami is shaking her head. Sorry, Wami. The next thing that he says is he says, you know what, my dew, when, when my dew comes over Israel, and all of these are directed at Israel, by the way. This is what he's saying Israel will be like when we are with him. Israel, we are Israel, God's people. He also says that we will be like the trees of Lebanon. Uh, if you read the Old Testament much, you will know that the trees of Lebanon come up all the time. It's like one of the most random references that it just appears all the time. And it's because the trees of Lebanon are just super amazingly cool and beautiful. Google them when you come home. I think Jeremy's Googling them right now. Um, one fascinating thing about the trees of Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon, is that they grow to be about 120, about 150 feet tall. But as tall as they are, their roots go down the same length. So if you have a 100-foot cedar from Lebanon, it has a 100-foot root. Immovable, unshakable, firmly planted, firmly grounded. The anxieties of this world, they'll get at us, but they will not shake us. Like when hard and tragic times come, we will suffer, but it will not shake us. When the winds come and the storms come, we will be in it, right? Because the tree is above ground too. It goes and it gets moved. It gets blown, but immovable, deep. When God is in your life, the work that he is able to do is so deep in your heart and in your soul to places you don't even know you have, to depths in your heart and your soul that you think are impossible to reach especially where your wounds are so deep that you can't dig in there hard enough, he can penetrate that and go deeper and pull it out. The things that, the wounds that we carry that cause us into backsliding are, that, are the hurt reasons why we say yes to other idols, to other things. He says, I can reach deep down in there Deep enough to take them out. Deep enough to actually like get rid of those pains or those wounds. 
the trees of Lebanon are awesome. And then he, he talks about the shoots, right? The shoots are like the branches that spread out from the trees. He says, like, you're, you're going to cover more ground with me than you ever thought possible. You're going to spread out. And the play, like all of, we're like so busy at planning our lives, right? We have our friends. We have our work. We have this. We have church. We have activities. We have all of these things that we feel that like most of them are probably bad. But we're split in 100 different directions. God says, like, when I'm your Lord, I'll extend you where you're called to be. I'll extend you to pleasant places. I'll, ex- I'll make your life spread out so that you're not just bored or unsatisfied, but like I'll take you to all of the different places you should actually be that will actually fill your soul or that he actually has an assignment for you to be at to bring him glory. He does that. And then he brings up the olive tree, too. Perhaps the coolest, perhaps the most beautiful. Whereas in the lily doesn't last very long. It's here one day, the next day it might be dead. Uh, and the tree of Le- the cedars of Lebanon are deep, but neither produce fruit. The olive tree is this sign of life, of vitality, of producing amazing things, of having the joy of life, right? How, in Brazil, you can't, you like, it's almost impossible to cook anything without olive oil, right? It brings flavor to life. It brings joy, the aroma, the smell, the community, all of that. Like he's saying that uh, the olive tree is a sign of fruit. It's like when I'm in your life, don't worry about producing. You're going to be involved with so many wonderful things that you're actually made for. I'm going to take you out of something that you like, and I'll put you where I like know you should be, and there you will produce things. You will have great friends. You will be productive. If it's in your work life, like, is I'm going to take you out of this one company because you should really be here, or this one field because you're really meant to be here, I'm calling you to be here, or he's just going to take you and put you back exactly where you're at and say, like, now you're actually going to produce fruit for my glory that will actually fill you and bring you joy, that will actually satisfy you. How many of us are truly satisfied with our lives? Like, truly, truly, truly satisfied. You wouldn't change anything because you know you're producing something for the Lord. Because you have excitement. Even if you work a simple job, if you're there because you know the Lord has put you there, and it's magnificent. And it's beautiful. You're producing fruit that like, it, even you're surprised by. And the reason why I know, he, I believe, he brings up these things, right? Hosea, remember, put us back in the context of Hosea, this really crazy story where he's challenging us, he's yelling at us, he's telling us how much he loves us, he's like telling us how much he cares, he's telling us, I'm going to send you into an exile, a country is going to come and destroy everything from where you live, and they're going to take you and bring you to another part of the world that you don't want to be in, you're going to question everything about your identity as my child, and I'm going to put you in this foreign land. Remember, don't lose the context. Hosea is this crazy big story, and he ends it by talking about trees and plants. And I think it's because he says when he is in our lives and when our hearts catch up with our brains and knowing that we are Gomer, that we leave him all the time, the way that he heals us is in all of the organic ways. It's not only the mountaintop experiences, right? It's not only the experiences that Moses had. 
but it's also as gentle as a garden, as long-lasting as taking stuff and planting it and waiting for it to grow. It's not always immediate, but it goes deep. It takes time. It needs cultivation. And the Lord is saying, I got it. I'm a good gardener. I know how long these things take. And I know how to do the work to free you from your apostasy. I know how to end that addiction to fill in the blank. I know how to get your workaholism out of your life. I know how to take away your dependency on generational wealth. I know how to make you feel really satisfied. I know how to make your life mean something. Bring me your words. Tell me exactly where you're at, and I can heal you. Because God is, as we see in Hosea, he's always faithful. At every moment of your life, he's faithful. At every moment of your life, he is kind, merciful, and loving, and compassionate. And at every moment of your life, he is also willing to be really honest with you, to challenge you, because he is not a man like us. Remember chapter five, said that? Six, maybe? He is not a man just like us. He is God. In the story of Hosea, uh, the worship team can come up. In the story of Hosea, he is our husband who loves us the only one who truly does. And also in chapter 11 of Hosea, he is our father who knows how to discipline his children towards healing. And that's who he is. That's who he is in the story. And our invitation for today is simple in that the idea is simple, not simple to do. Verse 9, he says this. He, this is the last verse in Hosea, the last word that he has in this crazy book, he says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. This is an editor's note. The person in the time of putting Hosea's collection together added this verse in as a, uh, an editor's note, saying, the words of Hosea are not trapped for the people of Hosea's day, but they are for all people, all time, to understand who God is, what he does, how faithful he is, and how good at the work that he does he is. That sentence sucked, but it works. He's really good at what he does. He's the best at it. And so our invitation today is to further understand in a real way and in a deeper way to put it into our hearts, not just our minds, but our hearts, that we are Gomer and that we have to return to the only one who really loves us. We have one love in this world who gives us everything that's lovely, right? He gives us a spouse or a friend. He gives us the church. This is lovely, but it's only lovely because he's here. He is the only one who really loves you, who loves you 
perfectly, who loves you exactly the way you were meant to be loved, the way each human needs to be loved, and the way each human can be loved by our perfect father, our perfect husband. And so it's the, the invitation of Hosea is to understand this truth, that you will only find everything that matters in the husband who loves you, in the father who can discipline you. And so let's worship him. Let's worship the God who is honest enough to stand up to you, who yells at you because he also screams his love at you, who can heal you in all of the natural ways without killing you, but bringing you good life, a satisfied life. Um, and the dream for us today is that we become a people who are solely devoted to the one who loves us. No other allegiances, no other idols, finding no security anywhere else other than in Jesus, the one who came and died and rose again for our sin, for our salvation. Um, so let's worship him, and then we'll come and close. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's stand up.